take your Bible and open it to John 5. I want to return us there, though abbreviated, uh, this morning and turn you to that wonderful section of Scripture. And I'd like to read the text for you. I'd like to read the text beginning at verse 18, John 5, 18, and would like to read down through 29. And then we'll look at a short section there. But it says in 5.18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor, honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is here when it says the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. May God bless the reading of his scripture. We're looking this morning at the declaration of equality, at least part two. We begin that actually two weeks ago. One of my favorite men in the faith who has since gone to be with the Lord was a, was a medical doctor turned preacher. His name is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he ministered from uh, 1900 to 1981 until his death. He was a very prominent doctor, young doctor, before he sensed God's call into the ministry. And I've read much on him and have read both of his big, massive uh, volumes on his biography, twice because I love them so much. But Lloyd-Jones said this about the person of Christ. He said, if you do not believe in the unique deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. He said, we are not looking at a good man only. We are not interested merely in the greatest teacher the world has ever seen. We are face to face with the fact that God, the eternal Son, has been in this world that he took upon him human nature and dwelt among us, a man amongst men, God, man. What manner of man is this? Lloyd-Jones said, he is more than man. He is God, end of quote. I think that's well said. You must believe in the unique deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we turn our focus on John chapter 5, it is the healing earlier in John chapter 5 of the man 
who had been paralyzed. And you remember, they had laid him out at the pool, and Jesus walking into that town of Bethsaida and into that area where there were two large pools saw that man and healed that man who had been laid at the pool in verse 5. He had been laid there, an invalid, for 38 years. And Jesus healed him. He told the man to rise, take up his bed, and walk. And that he did, another miraculous feature that there was no atrophy there in his muscles. That man picked up his mat and walked. And I said to you a couple weeks ago, it was one of the most important miracles ever recorded in all of the gospel that Jesus did. Oh, he did many miracles. He did so many miracles that John says later that he supposed that the volumes could not be contain all that he did. So only the ones that we see in the gospel were the ones that reflect what the writers wanted us to see. But John chapter 5, in this healing, is one of the most important ones that he ever did. And I believe it to be so because he healed that particular man at the pool who had been laid there daily for 38 years. He healed that man on the Sabbath. And it triggered, if you will, and I think Jesus did it on purpose on the Sabbath, to trigger the ensuing dialogue that would take place between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. He used that miracle, if you will, to confront really, or to provoke the confrontation that we now have recorded in verse 17 all the way down through verse 38. And what's recorded here is that the Lord asserts His authority with the Father. He asserts His oneness with the Father. Or for the sake of our title, the declaration of equality with the Father. It is a statement of his deity. And it is a statement that comes from his own lips, if you will. They are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ as to who he is. We said a couple weeks ago, this must be one of the richest Christologies in all of the New Testament that tells us about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Now, as you look for the markers, as just we look at this briefly, the key markers in verse 18, look there again. It says there that the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he healed that man, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There you have it. He, they knew that he was claiming to be equal with God. And then what ensued from that was four four bold declarations of his equality with God the Father that you might believe in him. And we said that they are the testimony of his own identity. And we've got to grasp this section because it was really the heart and soul of the gospel. And I want to take you where we were a couple weeks ago, but we said, number one, he's equal with God in essence. He said in verse 17, my father is working until now and I am working. In other words, his father works, I work. The father never uh, stops working. He is sustaining the world even as 
you sit and I stand. He is always sustaining the world and the universe. And like his father, who never ceases from that particular work, is Jesus Christ working. And if God the Father works on the Lord's day, then God the Son works on the Lord's day. And God is equal. He is equal with God in essence. Secondly, he was equal with God in action. In action, verse 19, he said, I Say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but whatever He sees the Father doing, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In other words, He's equal with God in action, that what He does, the Son does. He does nothing on His own initiative. And then thirdly, we look that He's equal with God in power, that He gave Him the ability to create life, salvation, and resurrection, But he also gave him the power to judge. He's equal with God in power. Look there at the scripture in 20. It says there, he says in verse 21, as the father raises the dead and gives them life. In other words, only he can raise the dead. It's a prerogative of God. Only he can give them life. Verse 21, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And then this in 22, the father judges no one, but he's given all judgment to the son. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm only not only equal with God in essence, equal with God in action, but I'm equal with God in power. Now, remember, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is why I finished a couple weeks ago. Either he was and is the greatest liar, or he is the son of God and fall down on your knees and worship him. But he does not leave us an option to think that he's just a good moral teacher. He is making bold claims. These are the words of Christ. He's equal with God in power because the Father gave him that prerogative. And then we finished and we said that he's equal with God in honor. In honor. He said that, that all may honor the Son, verse 23, just as they honor the Father. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And then he finished that in verse 24, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And that's really where we left off. Now, as we approach then chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 25 through 29. We're going to look at part of it today and part of it next week. And we see, really, just another description of his deity. It's just a further description. His deity is revealed in the fact that Jesus can give life. In other words, he can make dead people live. And it's really a passage about the resurrection. And so it's another revelation of his deity and his power to raise from the dead And then also his power and authority to judge all men. And so I just bring you this morning to two illustrations that further reveal his equality with God. And really what we have here in John chapter 5 is an elaboration on that third principle that we looked at last week, that he is equal with God in power. He's going to show that again in these two illustrations, his authority, number one, to give life, and his authority to judge all mankind. 
And I would just tell you that I think here the teaching of the Word of God is staggering when you begin to look at the implications of the person of Christ and the power of Christ and the authority of Christ. He is utterly, utterly unique. He is here declaring his equality with God. But look here at the first illustration, his authority to give life. His authority to give life. And you're going to have to follow the words carefully with me here in verse 25. He makes another emphatic statement. He says it all over. Truly, truly. Just stop there. It just means that what he's going to say is of great, great importance. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. What a grand statement. He's addressing here is our Lord Jesus Christ, his power to raise the dead, to give the life, to give life. I mean, according to Jesus, the Son raises the dead and gives life just as God the Father raises the dead and gives life. In fact, raising the dead and giving life are the prerogatives of God alone. And so what God does, Jesus does. Look back at 521. It says it right there. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. It is a profound statement by Jesus declaring his deity and making him equal with God. He has been given the authority by God to raise the dead and to give life. But look what he says back in 25 again. He said, an hour is coming. That's future, okay? And then he says, and is now here, that's present. It's a very interesting statement. Our Lord says there's an hour coming that's in the future, but there's also in verse 25, and is now here, okay? In other words, it's in your midst. Now, that's not the first time he used is now here. Do you remember, look back at chapter 4 in verse 23, when he was talking there to the woman at the well, and he told the woman at the well in 4.23, an hour is coming, and he says it again there in 4.23, and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So he's talking about a time frame here, is he not? There's an hour coming that's future, but the time is now here in the present. What's interesting is if you glance down at chapter 5 in verse 28, he just simply says there, do not marvel at this. And you'll note in 28, he says, for an hour is coming. In other words, it's just future. So he's talking about in verse 25, something that's in the here and now. But later in 28, when he talks about those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. He's talking about something that's only related to the future. But he says this in 25, 
But the hour is coming is, and is now here. You say, well, well, what's he dealing with? Well, he's dealing here with what I would call the first resurrection of the soul. There's two. He's going to raise us, if you will, spiritually. But then in the future, we know that he's going to raise us physically to be with him forever. But at the moment here, look back at 25. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now it's now here. Well, what's here? Well, look at the phrase. When the dead, and you can put a little marker on there, when the dead, the spiritually dead, will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. In other words, there are people in this life, now is here, who hear, verse 25, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear very clearly at the end of 25 will live. Beloved, he's talking about eternal life now. He's talking about those who were dead in their trespasses and sins, dead, if you will, spiritually to the things of God, that when the word is preached, those who are dead, verse 25, will hear the voice of the Son of God, and it says those who actually hear, which is likened to obey, will live. In fact, just go back a little bit in John chapter 1 in verse 4. He's talking about life here. And he's talking about those who are dead, now alive, if you will, through the power of the gospel. It says in John 1, 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now you remember when we talked there that in Jesus Christ was life, and his life is the light of men. There's two different Greek words that speak of life. Bios and zoe, if you will. Zoe, if you will, speaks of spiritual life. And bios just speaks of physical life. Here in 1.4, he's talking about spiritual life. It says there in 1.4, in him was life, spiritual life. And the life was the light of men. In other words, Jesus Christ, when he came and ministered, he brought forth the gospel. That gospel that comes has the power, that's the point here, to make dead people, spiritually so, alive. He gives to them, through the power of the gospel, eternal life. Look over at John chapter 3. You know this, you know this one by heart, but I focus on a particular word, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, what? Life. When you come to Christ, he takes people who are dead in their trespasses and sin, and he gives spiritual life unto them. And so really, that's what it is addressing. Look at John chapter 3 and verse 36. Here's the power of the gospel. Whoever believes in the Son, there it is again, has, in 336, what? Eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Look over at John chapter 4. Do you remember there with the woman at the well? Jesus said in John four fourteen, whoever drinks of the water that I give him 
will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal, what? Life. That life begins on this earth, if you will. the, the, The profound picture of the gospel is that we were dead in our sins and when we come to know him in a personal way and put our hope and confidence in him, he gives us eternal life. Look over at John chapter 5. We saw it two weeks ago in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has, there it is again, eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. That's a present reality. So here's a little bit of what Jesus says. There's an hour coming that's in the future, but it's also now here that when you hear the voice of the Son of God, you will live. Look down at John chapter 5, verse 39. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they who bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You get the picture, Jesus gives life, does he not? Look over at chapter 6 in verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. For the Son of Man will give it to you. Profound truth here. Look at verse 33 of chapter 6. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of what? Life. There it is. Look all the way down at verse 68. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The point here is that God, through Christ, gives spiritual life to dead people. That's the point. You say, well, how do dead people come to life? How? Well, look back at verse 25 of chapter 5. How do they come to life? It says there, when the dead will hear the voice of of the Son of God. Beloved, it is the voice of the Son of God which is likened in the Scripture to His Word. When His Word is preached, people who are spiritually dead hear the voice of the Son of God in His Word and it begets life unto them. Look at John chapter 5, just the previous verse in verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my, what? Word, which is likened, Nick, to his voice. So the voice of the Son of God in verse 25 is the words of Jesus Christ. Whoever hears my word, which just by the way, which is let's a little... little uh, um, uh, advertisement for our youth ministry. Young people don't get redeemed by playing games and having fun, though we want our young people to have a great time in the youth group. They're redeemed through the words of Christ. 
the redeemed as the word is preached. There it is in 24. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him whom he has sent. Look over at John chapter 6 in verse 63. There, it says there, it is the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, right? 663, who gives life. And so the Holy Spirit uses the instrument of the Word of God. It is the Spirit who gives life. He says the flesh is no help at all. And now this, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So, beloved, here's what he's saying. There's an hour coming in the future, physical resurrection. But there's an hour that's now here when those who hear, not all who hear, but those who hear in verse 25 will live. They they obey him. Look over at John chapter 6 and verse 68. Again, the voice is his word in 668. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the, what? The words of eternal life. And maybe it's just appropriate. I spend probably, without exaggeration, every week hearing about people who supposedly have heard a word from God. Listen, when the scripture comes to us, Christ speaks to us and he speaks to us through his word, right? You have, in 668, the words of eternal life. One more. Look over at John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Just trying to illustrate here. What is the voice of the Son of God? It is the word of God. In John chapter 11, in verse 43, there it says, um, in 11.43, when he had said these things, it's about a Lazarus. He cried out with a loud voice. And again, it's the voice of Christ. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. But he came out at the voice of Christ. It is the voice of of the Son of God through His Word that calls out to those who are spiritually dead and those who hear in verse 24 will live. Now obviously, beloved, he's talking now back in John chapter 3 about being born again, is he not? That when you are born again, he takes somebody who's dead. Listen, one of the things you'll hear in the testimonies today is a time where almost each of them just came to a point of a recognition of their sin. And when you recognize that our sin separates us from a holy God, you will know that you need Jesus Christ as a Savior. But this is the power of the gospel. Do you remember scriptures like this? I think it will come up on the screen. In Colossians chapter 2, in verse 13. And you who were, what? Dead. Dead spiritually. In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. This is what happens when people become a believer. Listen to the testimonies today in just a little bit. You're going to hear about a time when they didn't know Christ, a time when they weren't alive to Christ, 
A time when they didn't had no affection for Christ. A time where they had no affection for his word or church. They'd rather sleep in. But then there was a quickening. There was a time when God Almighty took people who were dead and made them alive with him. And in that so doing, right, he forgives you all your trespasses and sins. There's another one in Ephesians. God... Remember, it says earlier in 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. And so here, if I could moor this back to the text, it is an illustration of the power of Jesus Christ to make dead people alive. And he does that through the power of his word through the agency of of the Holy Spirit. And then there's that scripture in John 10 that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And, you know, and and I've shared this with you many times, but I'll just put this out. There was a time in my life where I was dead, right? In my trespasses and sins. Growing up at a great church in the San Fernando Valley with a great pastor. And I'd sit there and listen to the word preached. And I believe ultimately that's what saved me. But I'm just telling you, I was spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. Unalive to God alive to my own flesh, but not wanting him as my Lord and Savior. And I've shared with you many times that on one particular night, God convicted me of my sin, and he showed me the need of the Savior, and I dropped to my knees, and I confessed him as my Lord and Savior. As I got down on my knees, dead in my trespasses and sins, I got off off my knees and was alive spiritually. He caused me at that moment at 14 to be born again. And so he took me who was dead in the trespasses and sins and he made me alive by by regenerating me and he used his word and his spirit convicted me of my sins. And here, prior to Christ, we're walking zombies. I mean, Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in, your, in other words, you're alive walking, but you're walking dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins until God makes you alive with him. Now, let me, let me see if I can tie this back to the point here. Look back now to John chapter 5, okay? Because I want you to be able to read this and understand it. I want you to be clear here, and I want to be clear with you, that Jesus is not merely God's instrument or agent to do as Elijah did in the Old Testament, but God the Father has uniquely and supremely given that authority to Jesus to give to life those who were spiritually dead. So first there is, in 525, a a spiritual resurrection. Look at it again. He says, I say to you, an hour is coming. It's now here when 
the dead, not all the dead, not all people come to Christ, when the dead, spiritually dead, hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear, which is likened to obey, they will live, right? That's the first resurrection. You're raised spiritually. But in the text here, there's a second resurrection. And the second resurrection has to do with the body. It's a future resurrection of a glorified body that awaits believers. It's what we call the already not yet tension. So look again at the text in 25 when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. That's a reference here to the second coming. It's a reference to the resurrection of our bodies. Now, what's unique here, and we'll touch on this next week, and again, I'm just illustrating the power, the equality of his power. Look down at verse 28. He said, do not marvel at this. And he's talking about in 27, his authority to judge. But do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming. Now watch this. When all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and what? Come out. And those, I'll explain this next week, who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I'm going to make a distinction. In verse 25, it's only those who hear the word and believe him whom he has sent that has spiritual life. And in verse 24, he doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. But here's what I'm telling you. It's unbelievable. (laughs) Jesus Christ is so powerful that not only does he have the power to spiritually make a dead heart beat with spiritual truth, but at the end of time, look at 28, when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and what? And come out. I'm telling you, the scripture's saying, he's saying, he's so powerful that just as in that moment in John chapter 11, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he will call every single individual out of the tombs and they will all hear his voice. Beloved, that's power. This is not a man only. This is not just a rabbi. This is not just a good teacher. He is the son of the living God who is equal in essence, equal in action, equal in power, equal in honor to God. And at the second coming, he will call every single man and woman out of the tomb. You say, well, you say, well how does he do that? The power of his voice. You say, what do you mean he's going to call him out of the tomb? He's going to call him out of the tomb. And those who have believed in Christ on this life and in this earth, who have spiritual life, will go into eternal life. But those who do not place their faith in Christ will be called out of the tomb to stand before him and be judged. You say, well, how much power is that? Well, I I don't know. How much power do you think that is? He's going to call bones out of the body. He's going to give life to them, and they've never really perished. 
Because their soul immediately goes to heaven or hell, but you're only one or two places. But all men, all women, all children, all young children, all youth, everyone will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, that is power. That's more power than Powerball of lottery. I was with my friend a couple weeks ago who flies jets around the globe for someone. Those jets are powerful. There's a lot of things that we say are powerful. We say businesses are powerful or certain business people are powerful. But listen, I'm telling you the greatest power there is is the power that resides in Jesus Christ that God the Father gave to him. Listen, he is the son. He is human, but he is fully, fully God. And so here he's dealing, if you will, with the second resurrection in the moment. First Corinthians, maybe next slide, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet that will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be what? Change. That's for believers. Second coming. So if you have a loved one, I can see some of you out there, and they're in Christ, they instantly go into the presence of God because Jesus told the thief on the cross, today you will be what? In paradise with me. But we await for the second coming at the resurrection of the body when Jesus Christ comes back, when in a moment the dead will be raised imperishable, fitted with a new eternal body, and we shall all be changed. First Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel, archangel and with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall, what? Raise first. Beloved, it is the authoritative voice of Christ that he has the creative ability in the spiritual realm to give you spiritual life and in the physical realm to raise you eternally to be with him. He is equal with God in power. Calvin said it is just as unnatural for the dead to hear as it is for the dead to be brought back to life. But both come from the secret power of God and hear the secret power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, how is this even possible? I mean, how could he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at the next verse. There's a gar clause. We call it that in the language. It's the word for. That's the Greek word gar. It says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. In other words, just as God the Father has life and made life and creates life, he's given that power to reside in the Son. And so as the Father can raise the dead, Christ can raise the dead on earth. As the Father breathes spiritual life through His Spirit to cause us to be born again, hear the authoritative voice of Christ working on behalf of His Father who has life in Himself to give and to grant that which is life. Listen, we have a wonderful Savior, do do we not? But listen, I just got to tell you, just right here, um, uh, this this isn't even in my notes. This is not just mild, meek-mannered Jesus. Either he's who he said he is or he's not. But I believe with all my heart he's who he said he is. And if he is who he said he is, then he ought to be your Lord. 
He ought to come to have first place in your life. And the great hope of the scripture is that if you place your faith in him and not yourself, he will give you spiritual life on this earth. And then the hour is coming that if you die or if he comes back, he's going to raise you into glory and give you fulfilled eternal life forever and ever and ever and ever. Listen, Jesus Christ is the most powerful man that ever walked the face of the earth. Oh, he came in humility. A couple of weeks ago, I was at an event, and there was a very prominent man at this event, not just in the States, but a, a global man known all over the world. And I couldn't help but watch as I saw him not too far from where I was. And I looked around, and I saw him there with his entourage and his bodyguards, of course, to, to guard him. And I thought, well, I, I suppose he's written up all over, and he's a powerful man. But he's really just a man, isn't he? But when you talk about the person of Christ, he was a man, 100% man, but here 100% God. We only got through point one. I wanted to get through another one. He has the authority to give life. And so I'm asking you, do you have that life uh, this morning?